0: Amen. Amen. Well, again, welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist simply to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. My name's Chris. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is just... It's just a joy to see all your faces, uh, to see you here. And if you're with us online, if, if you're at your house, hopefully your face is uncovered at home by yourself. Otherwise, I don't know how to help you. Um, wow, we are in it already. Okay, let's get back. Um, Second Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. And we are continuing our series, Endure uh, Courage in Weakness. And as you turn there, uh, there's so much to be excited about uh, today. I mean, here in the Pacific Northwest, this is as close to a Ferris Beeler's Day off weather that we get in May. So the fact that you are here in this place, in this space, we believe is just an act of the Holy Spirit. That you'd come inside and want to gather today. And, and as we turn to chapter 10, I want you to ask yourself, what robs you of joy? In this past year, in this past season, uh, any stage in your life, where and how do you find yourself running off the rails of stress, of fear, of unsettledness? Where have you found yourself in just states of, of internal conflict or turmoil? It seems like at certain points that, um, uh, that our joy is is just being assaulted. That there's a battle on so many different fronts. There's external circumstances. There's our own thoughts. There's we believe spiritual forces at work that want to rob us of joy. And sometimes the, the the attacks can be as subtle as just a little bit of pride, or or, or as bold as just overwhelming, crushing circumstances. And so we have to start from a place we believe of not pride, but of humility, of recognizing how dependent we are on God uh, for uh, our joy, and recognize that we are weak, that we need strength beyond ourselves if we're actually going to to get to to fight for joy. And we believe that joy is something worth fighting for and and, and that there's great value in that. And so when we say that our mission as a church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people, the reason that's our mission is because we believe that when people have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when they have renewed and restored souls reconciled to God, that it leads to greater joy. It leads to greater flourishing. And so uh, our mission is one really of of spreading, in some regards, joy. And so as we think about ourselves individually pursuing joy, and we think of ourselves collectively as a church pursuing joy, we need to look at individual um, uh, uh, conversion, yes, but also uh, uh, individual transformation. And also we want to have a transformative culture, as a church that helps people change and grow, uh, and, and uh, those two are interrelated. So if you're like, well, I want to see our church culture change. I want to see the culture of the church change. Well, there's going to have to be some changes here. And as you're part of a culture that is healthy, it's going to lead to changes here. So why am, I, why am I saying all this? Well, that's what this text I believe is about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, because it's a pastor, Paul, um, really kind of like seeing one side of a set of text messages between him and, and a church in Corinth, a church that is, is losing its joy, a church that is kind of off the rails in some regards. And so Paul in chapter 10 is saying, hey, here are some things that I think could or should be corrective marks of a church culture that radically transforms your life towards joy. It starts with you individually. It includes leadership and church culture. And then next week in chapter 11, you're not going to want to miss this. He starts going beyond the church and saying, what are the false gospels of the day? What are the false narratives of the day that we find ourselves in that are robbing us of joy? And how is that even making its way into the church in ways that's undermining what's true about the gospel? So next week might be a little Critical race theory, Christian nationalism, everybody will be upset at the end of it. It'll be fantastic. So come back next week. So as we look at these uh, verses, I want us to see what we do that actually robs us of joy so that we can have a chance to, to recognize that, to hopefully repent of those things, and then receive joy. So I've broken this up into three sections. I've got 11 points in here. Um, don't get nervous if one point's bigger than the other. Uh, we'll still get out of here on time um, because it's gorgeous out. I mean, who doesn't want to go outside? Okay. Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6 to begin. Again, we're seeing one side of a conversation. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Bracket that if you in your Bibles. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence, which uh, suspects us of walking, excuse me, boldness of such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So as we look at these verses, four things in this section that I believe we can do if we want to have our joy destroyed. Number one, right at the beginning, get Jesus wrong. You want your joy destroyed, get Jesus wrong. If you get Jesus wrong, it doesn't matter what else you get right. Because if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything else wrong. See, we easily forget the character and nature of Christ. Like we, 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 we know that Jesus is victorious, right? He's conquered sin and death. Uh, Paul in this letter has written about how Jesus has overcome death, how he set promises for eternity. That's, that's fantastic. We, we love this. But as he's beginning to say, Hey, Corinthians, let's talk about your individual transformation. Let's talk about your church culture. The aspect of Jesus' character and nature that he highlights is incredibly significant because he highlights and draws attention to the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And this just seems, I think, a bit counterintuitive, right? Because you want to contextualize the gospel. All right, what does the culture value? Let's show how God uh, values that as well, right? That's a pretty easy or normal thing uh, to do. Well, in the Corinthian culture, they valued power. They were, they, they were a town, part of the Roman Empire that saw themselves almost equal to Rome. They loved what is impressive. And so as we sang this morning that we love Jesus as the lion of Judah, yes, we do. We love Jesus that fights for our battles. We love Jesus that conquered Satan, sin, and death. We love Jesus that comes back riding on a white horse who's coming with, with uh, tongues of fire and the truth and justice. And we love uh, a Jesus who comes and overturns the tables of oppression we love a Jesus who just comes in great power and might because we feel weak and we want victory and yet we forget that Jesus also is yes all those things but Matthew 11 when Jesus talks about what his heart is he says I'm gentle and lowly another way to translate that would be gentle and meek and so sometimes we like the power of Jesus more than the person of Jesus. And, and I confess, that, that's me. I mean, I, I like general Jesus that this comes in and wins the battle. But if we're going to have a healthy culture, then we need to see the Jesus as well who is a suffering servant, who is pierced for our transgressions, who is the one who came, it says in Isaiah, without form or majesty that we should regard him when Jesus showed up into human history, Isaiah said, and it, and it happened, he was despised and rejected by men and women. And so to know Jesus is to know the Jesus who knows you and me in all of our imperfection, all of our brokenness and still willingly sacrificed himself to purchase us from the slavery of sin, to, to yes, make us new, but, but he didn't wait for us to become new. He said, I, I know you in all of your brokenness. I know you in your sin. I know you in your shame. And while Jesus comes with justice and God answers sin with justice, and there is wrath and that is real, when Jesus pursues and engages with his people, he says it's with meekness and gentleness. And, and see, we, we get our joy wrong because we mistake meekness for weakness. We mistake gentleness for a lack of strength. When, when to be meek, to be uh, lowly, to be gentle, in absolutely no way does it diminish Jesus's power and authority over all things. He is the one who holds the universe together by the power of his will. That's power. But the definition of gentleness is not weakness. It's power under control. Power under control for a purpose. And his purpose is to, yes, at times bring conviction and clarity, but also to bring compassion for the purposes of, of repentance. And so Jesus is gentle and patient. So let's let's not make that think that somehow Jesus doesn't take sin seriously. He takes it incredibly seriously. He went to the cross to die for sin as our substitute. We believe that because that's how serious God takes sin. But what it means in saying that he's gentle and patient is to contrast and say that he's not quick or vindictive. God engages us delicately with patience. And so we can have joy when we remember the holistic nature and character of Christ. Got to understand who Jesus is in every aspect. It's the character and nature of God is embodied perfectly in Christ. And and so we got to see Jesus holistically. And that brings us to number two. You want to not have joy? Don't see yourself holistically. Just simply continue to believe that each part of your life is completely separate and segmented from every other part of your life. So, um, uh, for example, right if, if your body is not doing well, assume that that's not going to change your attitude. That somehow spiritual things are just over here, so it doesn't matter what you do with your body. Or if I just learn enough about something mentally and, and understand it, but never apply it to how you live your life. So, you know, I mean, everybody knows about my gluten stuff at this point because I probably mention it every week because it's still top of mind. But like, if, if I hear all that from my naturopath and don't do any of it, cool, I know it now, that's great. But if it doesn't change how I live my life, then it doesn't matter. And so... He, Paul here is charged by the Corinthians in verses two and three of walking in the flesh. Like, hey, Paul, you, you're like living your life as opposed to living in the spirit. As if somehow those two things are completely divorced from one another. See, there's a, a Gnostic heresy that just says what is spiritual matters and what is material doesn't. We need to recognize that the spirit impacts the material and the material impacts the spirit we are whole people, mind, body, and soul. And so we need to have an understanding that our actions will impact our attitudes. And our attitudes will impact our actions. And so we, we do ourselves great damage when we forget that we live real tangible lives instead of lives that are interconnected with our mind, body, and soul. And so when we're not holistic, in how we see ourselves, we're actually neglecting opportunities for growth and we're neglecting opportunities for health and healing. Yes, maybe you have a spiritual issue that needs to be worked out and and that it's causing you great anxiety because you're in sin. Or maybe there is a chemical imbalance in your head that needs to be dealt with with medicine, right? That's holistic, trying to understand how we work. We can have joy when we understand how we're made. And that brings us to number three. You want to not have joy? Only focus on your external life. Only focus on what's out there. Only focus what's on the surface. In fact, in fact, do that and completely neglect your inner life. That's going to lead to a lot of joy, right? No, we don't have joy because we choose the wrong battlefield to fight for it. So we get incredibly frustrated around circumstances. And oh man, the last 12 months have given us ample opportunity to be frustrated about circumstances, right? And so, we focus on all the things in the world, and, and a lot of it are things that we are incredibly powerless to affect any change on at all, and we get consumed by it. And so we begin to think, you know, I would be different if my circumstances were different. You know, I don't feel healthy, I don't feel happy, or I don't have joy that's enduring, and so um, uh, we just think if our circumstances were different, that that would bring me contentment. When the, the converse is true, you begin to actually work on your heart or understand how your heart works, and it will bring you joy in the midst of whatever circumstances you're in. So it doesn't mean if you're sick and suffering that you don't go get treatment. Please do. We we love we love medicine. We've been able to see people in our church experience healing from things uh, in the last season. And I believe that, yeah, yeah that's supernatural because all, all healing is God's healing, but wow, praise God for medical science. But if you only focus on the external, then you're forgetting where joy and flourishing actually come from. That God is greatly powerful and he brings peace in our, when our eyes and our hearts are set on him. And so our inner life matters. And if we neglect that, then we are neglecting where true transformation takes place. So we can have joy when we live lives that, that yes, are holistic, but don't start outside in. Let me just fix all the things out here and then I'll feel better. But instead when we have lives that start inside out, what changes is God making in my heart? How am I being renewed in my spirit? How am I connecting with the Lord and having that be an outflow into the rest of my life? We'll have joy when we live lives that go inside out with the divine power that, that I love this phrase here in chapter 10 uh, in verse four that says the divine power to destroy strongholds. Another way to translate that is to destroy barriers. There are actually things that are keeping you from life with God, joy with other people, and by the Holy Spirit coming in, spiritually breaking down those barriers and strongholds so you can actually experience joy. All right, number four. Just let your thoughts hold you captive. You want to not have joy? Just let your thoughts hold you captive. Um, I want you to ask yourself, do you ever think about what you think about? I mean, like, do you ever think about, why am I thinking about this? Or should I be thinking about this? Or should I be dwelling on this? Do you think about what you think about? And and I ask that because I think we, we easily let our thoughts captivate us. A thought comes into our head and this is how it goes. It, it comes into our head and we're like, oh, that's interesting. And maybe it's, maybe it's a lie about your character, who you are. You're worthless. And you just start to dwell on that. Or maybe it's, oh, you're, you're, you're perfect. The reason this situation is going terribly is because of all of them. And so you start to cultivate that thought. So here's what it's not. I, 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 Knew a guy for a while that just very much was living in a lot of despair because he believed that every time a negative thought entered his head, that somehow he had sinned and was no longer in God's graces. Um, guys, our brains at certain points, the thoughts that pop into our head are like Twitter feeds we didn't sign up for, right? And then we're just like, where did that come from? You know, like I'm scrolling through, I'm getting an ad for that. All I've been talking about is solo stoves. Why am I not getting the solo stove ad? I didn't know, I didn't want that ad. And so it comes in our heads. And at that moment, we have a choice. So I wanna be clear, you're not held responsible for every thought that enters into your head. We all have, at times, some really crazy thoughts. But we are accountable for how we engage the thoughts in our head. So if a thought comes in your head, a thought about lust, a thought about greed, a thought about um, anger, and it comes into your head. You can invite it into your living room and sit it down and give it the choicest wine and, and meat and just entertain it and say, "Live here, grow here, set up camp here, bring all your friends," and, and you know, and you can just kind of, kind of, you know, turn your your head into like a overpass in Seattle, right? You know, just, just all the friends living together in the tents, right? Or when the thought comes, and, and you'll find yourself in a prison at that point because these thoughts have captivated you. Or, as Paul is saying, you, you, want, you want transformation, you want joy, then start focusing on your inner life in such a way that when thoughts come in, you recognize, you ask yourself, does this belong here? Is this true? Where did this thought come from? Hey, maybe your parents jacked you up a little bit. And so you got an internal script that's just repeating lies that they've said about you. Maybe you have broken relationships. I I don't know what it is for you. But you have an option with every thought that comes in your head to either let it captivate you or hold it captive and say that this doesn't belong here. And so this gets, again, back to the battlefield. This is where the battlefield is. It'll change our heart. We, we hear it. The scripts happen in our minds. And God has given us in the Holy Spirit power and wisdom and discernment to try to understand what's from the Lord. What's neutral? And oh man, what's negative and what's destructive? And so, I mean, I, guys, I think this one is so, so important for us. To, to really just, like I said, ask ourselves, is this true about me? Where did this come from? And what happens if I act on it? Because the reality is, um, right? Like I said, on those ads on Facebook, I'm not responsible for every ad that shows up, but I'm responsible for if I stop and click. So you can turn off the TV, you can scroll past, you can do whatever you want and say, no, no I'm I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole anymore. Because it might find yourself captivated by thoughts of entitlement, of self-righteousness, of pride as well. And all of them are going to rob you of joy when instead it says we're to hold our thoughts captive to obey Christ with power and perspective that comes from the Holy Spirit. So we can have joy when we actually begin to experience victory in the battle of the mind doesn't mean you don't have weird thoughts to pop in. doesn't mean that you don't, you don't wrestle with things for a while, but, but for goodness sakes, wrestle. It's okay to wrestle with what comes into your head. And that brings us to our next set of scriptures here, verses 7 through 11 as we walk through, through 5 through 9. 7 through 11 says this. Look at what's before your eyes. If anyone's confident that he's Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so are we. Verse eight, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and for not destroying you, I will not appear ashamed or I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Verse 11, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent We do when present. So this brings us to number five. You want your joy robbed? Believe you're better than you are. Or at least believe you're better than everyone else or someone else. See, this first verse here, verse seven, look at what's before your eyes. If anyone's confident he's in Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is in Christ, so also are we. See, this is a call individually and as a culture, as a church, Back to humility. To remember why you needed Jesus in the first place. Because you weren't killing it on your own. Because we need Christ's perfection in us and on us to be made new. Because we know that we're sinners who are saved by the grace and mercy of God alone. That means we are dependent on Christ for our salvation. And so it also means that we are all equal in the eyes of the Lord. And so every person is made in the image and likeness of God, worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. Every person, those who the Bible to say are in Christ, those are Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. And what that means is not that they are perfect, but they have been saved by the God who is perfect. That their hope is not in themselves, their hope is in Jesus, And so when you know that you're in Christ, you are known by God and you're owned by God. You are no longer your own, you are you are owned by God. And so our identity is not in our achievement, but what has been achieved for us in Christ. And so um, what he's saying here is, hey, self-righteous Christian who thinks you have all the answers to everything, just remember a few other people have also been saved too. That yes, the Holy Spirit did a work in your heart to move you from spiritual death to spiritual life. That is amazing. Ezekiel says you had a heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh put in. That is a miracle. If you're in Christ, if your faith is in Jesus, that is a miracle from the Lord. And it's one that God's done a billion times. And so Paul's saying, you want to start with a healthy culture? You want to have joy? You want to have your joy, robbed? Then then just remember that there are other people who are in Christ too. There are others who also have the Holy Spirit, who have God's Word. There's other churches that are fantastic. And so don't think that you've got the market cornered on righteousness. It's like if you've got confidence because you're in Christ, remember some other people are in Christ too. If we have joy, or we will have joy, and remember that others are also known and loved by God just as we are, just as I am, just as I pray you are in Christ. All right, number six. You want your joy robbed? Just forget the purpose. Forget the purpose of leadership and authority. Just forget it. Forget why it exists. But He talks a lot about leadership here. In fact, just just focus then on tearing others down to build yourself up rather than using power and influence to build others up. That'll work. I mean, it's been tried a lot. Leadership and authority can easily lead to being domineering, to, to pridefulness, to, to self-serving. And, and we see this from government to little league. The leadership that exists for its own sake is destructive for those that are under its leadership or under its authority. And it's ultimately unsatisfying for those leaders who are leading for those motivations. And so the challenge is, right, we can all hold up, you know, dozens and dozens of examples of bad leadership, right? And so we think, well, the bad, you know, the answer to bad leadership is no leadership, right? Let's just, let's just go full anarchist. That'll go really well. No, the, the answer for bad leadership is not no leadership, but rather humble servant leadership. What are your motives for leading? What are your motives? for influence. And you're like, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have this role. No, no. We all have leadership either of ourselves or within our families. We all have influence over others in some various degrees. All of us are leaders of something or someone. And so what he says here is that leadership and influence uh, and authority here in verses uh, eight and nine, he says, actually there, there can be authority yeah that's man striven, like i want this i'm going to pursue power but there's also authority and leadership that's god given he said god gave paul in this case leadership and the leadership was given for a purpose to build others up leadership that exists just to build itself up will ultimately come crashing down leadership that exists to build others up is what the god-given purpose of actual leadership is and so um uh, there's great examples of this i um i love uh, sports shows uh, like particularly sports documentaries um like hard knocks on on uh, the nfl but one of my favorite ones in the last few years is called last chance you you can see it on Netflix if you have that. If you think Netflix is demonic, that's fine too. Um, and so last chance you, um, is these community college sports programs where it's these guys that, that failed out of, you know, Pac 12, SEC, big time schools, you know, maybe they had troubles with the law. Maybe they came from rough families. Uh, maybe they're in pla- you know, and these schools are in really terrible places like, like Mississippi and, and, and Oakland and, and, and all that. And so, um, it, it's like, this is it. If you guys don't succeed here. It's not going to work. And, and what's amazing is you can watch, there's one uh, season that was in Kansas, there's a couple seasons in Kansas, uh, which is just, you know, it just reminded me how blessed we are in the Northwest game. That's not the point, okay. Um, you look out uh, and, and and the coach on that was just incredibly verbally abusive. And yeah, maybe you're like, no, tough love. Like we need General Patton, right? You know, we need to, you know, we really want that coach that's gonna break us down. Well, okay, that guy experienced success won a whole bunch of games just verbally abusing and trashing uh, his players and and was able to have a program that looked really successful for a season. And he got all the cool upgrades to the facility and all these different things. It was all about him and all about what these players were going to do for him and his identity. And it just came crashing down the second season. Um, I'm watching one right now on this, this coach in Oakland uh, and instead um, he rather than caring just about his own success cares about the players, their individual development. Uh, he has uh, as a leader, he, he he still leads but he listens too so he's curious about where these players come from and what they're dealing with and at one point um, they've got this fourth string quarterback who is really a running back. If you're not following uh, sports for that, that's fine but basically guys totally out of position. Uh, they, they win the game. It's great. It's the next week and, and This player is having a total mental nervous breakdown and there's ways to respond to that. Like, come on, loser, step it up. Let's win. And instead he's like, Oh, what's going on in your life? Oh, your abusive father's back in the picture. He calls his wife who's a family therapist and gets her on the phone. And the guy actually experiences some healing. and He's able to focus on what he's there for because the, the leader listened And the leader realized he was there to build up the others, not just make a name for himself. And so humiliation serves no one, but humble leadership helps combat pride and and, and it helps people find confidence in Christ. And so um, I think the the challenge uh, that we have is that um, particularly when it comes to how we speak in leadership and influence, think about as parents, how we speak matters to those we have the most influence over. It's incredibly convicting for me as a dad because it means that all the careless words I say around my kids or to my kids has a greater impact than if you might say something to them. And so, if you want to have joy, actually be considerate about how you speak and about how you lead others who you have influence over. And so we can have joy when we embody and we respond to godly leadership that's been given by God for the purposes of building up. Okay, number seven. You want to have your joy robbed? Just easily be impressed by appearances or only look on uh, the surface, be dismissive of depth. Somebody's like, I, I want to be deep, I, I want to be faithfulness, I want to do a long obedience in the same direction. Be like, nah, that sounds hard, that's not cool, I want flashy, I want to grow big fast, I want early success, I want to see things going well right away. And, and so for the Corinthians, right, we said they value power, they were, they're a lot like us. They are easily impressed by that that is easily impressive because they look surface level. What's successful right now? Where are things going right now? And so they see Paul, and they're like, Paul, you don't look the part. And we know what leadership looks like, Paul. You're not domineering in your leadership, Paul, so we're gonna be dismissive and not responsive to it. Oh, Paul, you're not this amazing orator. Um, You know, you can write okay, but when you show up, your sermons are boring. Like, we're all falling asleep. And he's like, um, all I was doing was, you know, preaching Christ and him crucified. Was that not enough for you? And so here they are completely dismissive and they think they have all the answers. And so if they're going to follow somebody, they're going to be super impressive. And I think that's because we find our identity in our leaders at times. And so when we tie ourselves to how they're doing or how they're perceived And because we find our identity or we we try to identify with the leaders around us, then we're seeking the most impressive so that we can say we're part of the impressive group. And it's not going to lead to joy because godly leaders are ones who identify that their leadership isn't seeking to be impressive, but to impress upon people the greatness of Jesus. Good leaders don't point people to themselves, they point people to Jesus. Not growing their own kingdom, but calling people to be part of the ever expanding, glorious kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. So when we look for whatever's flashiest, or whatever's growing the fastest, and we think that that's always means health, no, we'll have joy when we seek depth and substance and endurance over shallow style and speed. Show me a church where the pastor made it 40 years faithful and is a quarter the size of one that exploded, got huge and then fizzled and died in five or 10. I'll take 40 years every time. Look for substance, look for endurance, keep going. Number eight, you want your joy robbed? This one's simple just lack integrity just lack integrity we don't have joy because we lack I- integrity and i want to be clear what that is it doesn't mean that we're always dishonest or we're always lying okay um although trust matters no integrity is being the same person all the time and so paul here uh, in verse 11 says let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent we do when present translation we're the same person all the time that's what integrity is. The, the the world might say it this way, be true to yourself. Mm, I mean, it's kind of okay. Uh, my background's in marketing, and so it's called being on brand. Ooh, that's not on brand for us. Oh, that that is, it's being true in some sense to your values. When you're a Christian, um, it, it means that you're being true to the person God has created you to be. And looking more and more like Christ in the process. And so what Paul is saying here is uh, is being differentiated from those uh, around you and having a consistent character. And it doesn't mean we don't change and grow, but it means that you're reliable and that you're trustworthy. And Paul's saying, no, no. Yeah, sometimes the letters are rough. Sometimes the speech is gentle. He's like, but all of this, he's saying is for him as a leader is that he's leading with gentle boldness. He's displaying humble confidence. And that means there's times of just stark, almost slappy in the face clarity. And there's times of soothing compassion. Because that's what it means to, to be holistic, right? To, to be true with conviction and compassion. And so we have joy when we walk in integrity as the individual that God is made us and is making us to be looking more and more like Christ in the process. All right, guys, last verses and then we're done. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 18 says this. Not that we dare to, to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Verse 13. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you for we're not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limits in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another areas of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord." For it's not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. All right, we got three more. Number nine, you want your joy robbed? Constantly compare yourself to others. Con- just, just nonstop comparison. When have you compared yourself to other people and found it to ever be a place of lasting joy? Um, we know that comparison is the thief of joy. Um, Pastor Leader Greg Krishel says it this way, the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. See, when we compare, it can only lead to two conclusions. Either, okay, I compare myself to what's going on over here, definitely doing better than them, pride, fantastic. Or you compare yourself to what's going on over there and you're like, ooh, not as good. Oh, that's so much better. Despair. Neither one leads to lasting joy. And so eventually we have dissatisfaction and we can become crushed with despair. And I think um, this guy right here gives us infinite opportunities for comparison like we've never had in our lifetimes or probably in in human civilization. I'm not saying chuck your phones, they're great, but oh my goodness, ever scrolled through Instagram and at the end of it been like, I'm pretty satisfied with my life. There's a whole app called Pinterest where you just pin things that are nice and pretty. I call it covet.com, right? Cause you're just like, "I, I want that backyard. Looks amazing, right? And it's like, you know, hey, these are all just tools. They're neutral. Don't, don't hear like, ooh, evil social media is coming to get you. I mean, it is, but, um, like, you know, so like whatever it is here, right? That, that you constantly compare yourself to other things and we never find joy in it. And there's a reason that God in the Ten Commandments says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or another way to say it, your neighbor's life. And the reason isn't because God's going to punish you for that yes there's don't hear me wrong there's wrath and judgment for sin okay the reason god says don't covet someone else's life is because coveting itself robs you of joy because you're no longer satisfied or content with the life that god has given you or where god has you now and that doesn't mean that we don't strive it doesn't mean that we don't seek to, to better ourselves. It doesn't mean that like we don't want to see multiple services here packed out. It doesn't mean you don't paint your house or mow your lawn. It doesn't mean you don't go for a run. It doesn't mean you don't intentionally spend time in your marriage or with your kids or, or whatever it is. It doesn't mean you don't work hard at your job. But if your focus is on comparing to others or desiring what others have, then you will absolutely lose joy and contentment in the journey God has you on right now. You won't enjoy the ride. And so coveting itself, comparing itself, it says here that they are without understanding when they do it. Another translation says it's just not wise. The fastest way to have your joy robbed is to not be content in what God has given you, but instead just compare to what you don't have. And he says as well, what I love that's interesting here, he says, um, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending. Oh, wait, is is Paul comparing? No, what he's actually doing is contrasting. He's saying there are leaders and there are people who are always comparing themselves to others so they can commend themselves. Okay, I'm going to find my strengths. I'm going to find your weaknesses. I'm going to compare my strengths to your weaknesses. I'm going to come out ahead of the game. He says they're they're just not with they're without understanding because they commend themselves. He says and I, this is an interesting example of this right here. Uh, in this last week or maybe it's two weeks ago um is that um uh, uh the, the CEO of, of YouTube um was given an award um titled the Free Expression Award. It was like, hey, for, for great work in helping people express themselves uh and, and you know maybe like First Amendment stuff. I, I don't know too much about it. Uh and then uh when you read who the sponsor of the award is anybody want to guess? The sponsor of the award was YouTube. That's commending yourself. That's pride. I won the Chris Rich Award this week. Like, you know, 1,000 weeks in a row, every week, crushing it, right? But this is what we do. We find our areas of strength. We find our areas of weakness. We try to commend ourselves, have our own standard, if you will, and then just look around and say, nobody else is measuring up to this standard. And so it leaves us lofty and cocky when we're called to be humble yet confident so as i said embracing contentment is not settling for a less than life but it's actually enjoying where god has you now and so we have joy when we reject comparison and receive contentment number 10. you want to have your joy robbed just reject your limits oh that, doesn't that sound like an awesome like workout t-shirt reject your limits well except that we're limited people. And the more um, responsibility and the more awareness we have of the world around us, um, the, the more we can recognize or should recognize that we are finite people and that limits are actually given to us by God for our joy. The Bible actually begins in an amazing paradise with one little limit. And we thought joy would happen if we just rejected that one limit from God. And now we find ourselves in a place in a world of brokenness that has limits all over the place. And so when we are comparing ourselves to others or or coveting what others have, um, what we are saying to God is, I don't like the limits you've placed on me. God, I don't like the life that you've given me. Don't you know I deserve more? I should have more influence. I should have more affluence. Instead, God gives limits in his wisdom to give us yes, the provision, but also the boundaries that we all need so we'll have humble reliance and reverence on him. And what I love in these verses that Paul talks about their limits and he talks about their limits, his limits and their limits. We have limits and when we recognize that others have limits as well, then we can begin to respect those and not expect people to be what they aren't or what they can't do or can't be. And it will lead us individually, and I hope as a church culture, to just be people who are much more empathetic, that have settled souls and a compassionate culture. And so there's certain points where, I mean, when you get all worked up about things that we can't control, there's so many world events that the, the, I get more angst the farther away it is for me because I feel less influence, less power, less control. And so when you. You know are told things or or hear things right like you know hey know your role stay in your lane like yeah those are those are pejoratives in our culture but they could also be reminders of the fact that we actually have limits and we're not supposed to have influence over everything all the time however we've been given a lot to do so you want to ask yourself what what am i what are my limits you want to understand your limits better than you need to ask yourself questions like this where has God placed me right now? What or who is within arm's reach of where God has placed me? Who are the people in my life, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, right, that God has given me influence over or relationship with? Man, there's a lot to do with just the people around you, with just the, the neighborhood around you, the community around you. What responsibilities are yours to carry out no, I need to own that. I need to mow my own lawn, right? And what are what are things that you're carrying that you can't fix or you can't change and maybe you're not supposed to? What do you need to set down and say, you know what? That's beyond my limit to, to affect that or to be involved with that. That's not my responsibility. See, we forget that God's in control so we can have more joy when we focus on what God has given us to do in our lives and be more settled and sustainable. And this brings us to our last one. You wanna have your joy robbed, just seek approval from the wrong source. Begin, as it's said here, to commend yourself, pursue the wrong standard. See, when we are constantly seeking the approval of others, then we are gonna find ourselves just exhausted on a treadmill that never ends. And when we are constantly uh, approving ourselves, then we're going to lack the curiosity that's required to actually grow, and we will suffer as a result of it, and so will those around us. But instead, when we know that our approval comes from the Lord and our standards come from Him, that that God is the standard. I mean, if, if Jesus is our standard, Jesus is our standard of perfection, I mean, to be clear, none of us measure up, right? And so, if God's our standard, Jesus is our example. If we're our standard of excellence, then we're always gonna be crushing it. If others are our standard of excellence, we're always gonna be crushed. But when Christ is our standard, then we're gonna actually be convicted of sin and pride. When Christ is our savior, who is crushed for us, then we can begin to be content And even says that we're commended in the eyes of the Lord because God doesn't see what we have done for him. He sees what he's done for us in Christ. So we don't commend ourselves, but instead we receive commendation from the Lord. Joy is found in knowing and understanding that our limits are a gift from God, that we have great confidence in our approval when we boast in the Lord. And so I want us to be people who are courageously humble Be courageously humble and have enduring joy. And as we pursue joy, as we go and enjoy the rest of the day or week or whatever, like maybe you came in and you don't know anything about Christ. Maybe you just need to be reminded where joy comes from. But for wherever you are, like the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to joy. And so you want joy, and I hope you do. Remember, Jesus. Be whole. Focus on your internal life. Remember who you are in your identity and whose you are in possession. Display humility and leadership, desire humble leaders. Seek depth, be yourself who God made you to be. Be content and embrace limits as we embark on the limitless mission of God. And stop seeking empty approval from men and start receiving and enjoying The approval of an eternal God when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.